0: I always tell people build those relationships when you don't need it The worst thing you can do is say I've got a big decision to make will you help me figure it out before you've developed a relationship with them?
1: I'm Carly Zakin and I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to nine to five-ish with the skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there
2: and that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know.
1: Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All
2: right, let's get into it.
1: Today, our guest is Rashida Jones. She's the president of MSNBC and the first black female executive to run a major cable news network. Rashida worked her way up from a local news internship all the way to running a network. Before taking the job at MSNBC, she was the Senior Vice President of Specials at NBC News and Director of MSNBC's Daytime Programming. At MSNBC, she's prepped for presidential debates, revitalizing the town hall format, and has organized live debates in a federal prison. And now she has a new challenge, bringing young viewers back to cable news. And I'm going to add, doing all of this in a pandemic. (laughs) Rashida. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here, guys. We're very excited to have you here. Before we start diving into all things about you and your career, we'd like to get started with a lightning round just for all of us to warm up, quick questions, quick answers. All right,
2: you ready? Yep. First job on your resume.
0: Wow. If I go all the way back, my first job was 14. I was a camp counselor for a summer camp in Virginia. It was the coolest job ever because I got to play with kids all day and... Had a lot of fun. Worst job on your resume? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the weird thing. I've loved everywhere that I've worked. I would say if I had to rank them, probably my stint at Pizza Hut. Yeah, I learned there's an art to assembling the pepperonis in a certain order, but the kitchens were pretty hot. The tips weren't great, but I found a way to have fun with it.
2: (laughs) Do you have any secret hobbies or skills?
0: (sighs) I'm really into movies. And when I do have free time, I like watching kind of weird random movies on all of the streaming platforms that's kind of been a a little bit of a of a release what's
2: the last like random weird movie
0: so i'm going to get the title wrong because i say it wrong every time but vivranium vivranium oh i don't know this movie on amazon prime and it's about this couple that goes to an open house and they can't ever leave the house and they wind up living in that house in this community with no other people no i don't like this for like 10 years Nope. it's weird it was super weird and i watched it twice no thank you (laughs) Next. But it was, it was scary. <laughs> Finish the
2: sentence. What best describes your workday? Working nine till? Forever.
0: It's nonstop in a good way. You know, this weird thing about working in cable is surprise. We're always on TV or always on some streaming platform. So it's just kind of a continuous thing. And you just have to decide, all right, I've done all the damage I can do for today. I'll pick it up tomorrow, but it doesn't really stop.
1: What is the hardest interview or you know panel you prepped? Yeah, you prepped a news team for.
0: I would say the hardest one was that final debate, Kristen Walker moderating, and Trump and Biden. And it was hard because it was so consequential. It was hard because we were also in the process of planning for election night coverage. We had just done a town hall a week or two before that with Trump, and a week before that with Biden. So it was. All of those things happening at once on top of it being one of the most important interviews, so to speak, uh, that I've ever worked on. But when you get to work with someone like Kristen, it becomes a breeze.
1: We loved having Kristen on this show. We definitely asked her about that moment because even just watching her do it made me want to throw up.
0: It was crazy. It was <laughs> so, crazy. I was
2: so nervous for her.
0: yeah, it was an amazing moment.
2: As two former interns in the same building you currently work in, Mm -hmm. what is the thing that an intern can do to get your attention?
0: Yeah, I think some of it is just kind of being bold enough to introduce yourself and find a way to connect. You know, every Week, I've got hours blocked off to meet with staff members. And, you know, I call it office hours because this feels like college sometimes. And like, come in and introduce yourself. And me, I always tell them we all have the same purple badge. Your badge works on every floor in this building, it gets you into every office. And so, the time that you're here and you know you're here for a finite number of weeks, use it, meet people, make your list at the beginning of your internship, and then find a way to rip the bandaid off in that awkward introducing yourself thing and go meet people. And I think being remote in some ways has made that a lot easier. It's easier to sit on teams and have a conversation with someone than to come into my office and sit in the red chairs and do it face to face. And so I think, you know, especially while we're in this pandemic, use that time to meet people that you wouldn't necessarily be comfortable or be motivated to meet in person.
2: On the flip side, what should they definitely not
0: do? It's so hard to come into this building and not fangirl. I still fangirl at times. I mean, we were both very guilty of that. (laughs) You just can't help yourself. When, you know, I I remember pre-pandemic, I'd be in an editorial meeting and Jimmy Fallon's walking down the hall and like banging on the windows, like, you know, just to wake the place up. And it was like, how did this happen? So, you know, you obviously get opportunities and perks working in a building like this that you wouldn't get in others. I would say keep the fan girling to a minimum. Yes. Yes. You probably
2: should have given me that before I worked there. (laughs) But let's move on into the actual interview. Okay. So you've spoken before about mentorship as something that has been really important in your career. Mm -hmm. I would really love to dig in around how that's made a difference. And let's just start with who was your first mentor?
0: My first mentor was a woman who started as a classmate as a kind of later career college student. Little did I know she was actually one of the main anchors in the market where I went to college. So her name is Barbara Sierra. She was the first person who taught me how newsrooms run. She was definitely the first person who taught me the art of negotiation. I did not know what a contract meant before I met Barbara. And she kind of pulled me into her office and said, here's how this works. Here are the things you should be thinking about. I didn't think about things like the value of the company that I worked for. I didn't think about things like networking until I met her. And I I met her when I was 17. I worked for her when I was 20. And I, I would say this, and, and any big move I make in any big job, A, she's usually the first person if she reads about it to reach out to me. She's one of the first people I reach out to when I'm thinking pros and cons and considering things. And, and that is you know, a cool 20 years after I first met her. She's still one of my first calls.
1: What I think we get asked all the time about mentorship that you've touched on before is just the dynamics of asking someone to be a mentor and getting over that first initial awkward conversation.
0: Yeah. It's always tough. And I always tell people, you know, build those relationships when you don't need it. The worst thing you can do is say, I've got a big decision to make. Will you help me figure it out before you've developed a relationship with them. Sometimes it makes sense to be as over to say like, will you be my mentor circle? Yes or no. Like we were in elementary school. Sometimes it's, it's more of an organic thing where you never say the M word and you just develop that relationship. And that person becomes someone that you go to. I think both scenarios are okay. I, you know, there's no one path to doing it. I think the, you know, the, the biggest things that I think are important to keep in mind is develop a genuine relationship with that person. It shouldn't just be about you asking them things or picking their brain about X, Y, and Z. Build that relationship before you actually need them to do things. I think on some level, some clarity around what it is you're looking for, what your gaps are and what you need. And then the last thing is, think about ways that you can add to their universe. Are there things that I may be more proficient in that could be helpful to the person I'm asking to mentor me? I would say, especially in this day and age where technology sometimes can be a barrier, I'm not the greatest on social media, so I just avoid it. There are things that people who I mentor can be helpful to me for. And so think about a two-way street and how you can be helpful to the person as well.
2: On the flip side, I think sometimes people find, and I found this in my own life, like mentors are really good for certain a specific time in your life. Right. And then I would say either don't become as helpful or actually like their advice might not carry on to the next challenge or level that you're facing. What's the best way to decouple yourself from a mentor?
0: Again, the same thing is finding a way to do it as naturally as possible. You don't want to disinvite someone from serving that function. I would say, and I would add this to my last answer, which is another thing that's important is you should be driving the relationship. If you're looking for a mentor, you should be the one reaching out. You should be the one kind of setting your communication points. And so it makes it easier when you're at a point where you rely less on that person. You're just reaching out a little bit less. You're just peeling back less. But I would also say be very careful about how you value those relationships because you want to make sure it's respectful amicable that person over whatever period of time put themselves out there to be a, a resource to you there are times where people who served as mentors for me I wound up becoming more of a mentor for them over the course of time and so I think it's valuable to keep that circle relevant keep the relationship even if you're not talking to them as much because let's say you're at point A and they're highly valuable point B they're much less valuable point C their their value may increase for you and you don't want to disengage that relationship.
2: I want to talk about a specific mentor of yours, I think most recently that sort of puts you on the path where you are now, mm-hmm. which is there was an executive at MSNBC that, that gave you a
0: certain push. So I would love to sort of yeah. hear about that. Yeah. So you're talking about Yvette Miley. My story with Yvette goes back now 10 years, which I can't even believe I'm saying that, at least 10 years ago where I met her when I was at the Weather Channel. She was this super star, super executive that I looked up to. Same thing. I kept in contact with her. I developed that relationship. I remember coming to New York just as a visit when I was at the Weather Channel, as a visit. And first thing on my agenda, I will flip my entire day up. I have to sit and meet with you and just soak up all of the event goodness. And so she's the one who hired me to come here now eight years ago today. She put me in positions when I worked for her and even when I didn't work for her that allowed me to push myself, that allowed me to think differently about my potential, that allowed the organization to think differently about how you use someone with my particular skill set and background, is I think about today, she's the person who will always push and ask the question of, why can't you do something bigger and better? Why can't you push yourself beyond what you think you can do? What are you doing to help other people get there? I had lunch with her last week. This was the conversation we still had, again, 10 years into our relationship. And I think for her, and she's instilled this into me, she's at a point in her career and I'm at the point in my career where my value is much more focused on what have I done to help other journalists succeed? What have I done to help other women reach beyond what they aspire to do? And I think for me, Yvette has brought clarity to the idea of your success is not only in what height you reach, but what you've brought other people to do. And she's the premier example of that.
1: When did you feel like you were able to kind of switch that perspective, because I think sometimes what we think is we would love, love to mentor more people, but we also need to get ourselves in the position so that our views carry weight so we can continue to pay it forward. And that balance of time can be really tricky.
0: Yeah, I think it's all about balance. I think that's the exact word. You know, I think from the very beginning of your career, you should be thinking about both of those things. Your focus on your own growth and development is going to be much greater than the development of others. But I'll say this to, you know, APs and and producers all the time. I guarantee you there is someone who wakes up every day and says, I want to be that person when I grow up because there's always someone who's on the path behind you. So I think when you start that from the beginning of your career, it's something that you continuously focus on. And then as you get, you know, higher up the rung, so to speak, the balance starts shifting and you're focused not exclusively on one, but less about your own growth, more about the other growth. I think for me, I would say in the last four or five years, that started becoming a bigger priority for me. I started getting more involved in my alma mater and trying to figure out ways, how do I get these young journalists who sat in the same seats that I sat in X number of years ago and had no idea of how to get to the the point of where I am or where some of my peers are How do I use that as a resource to kind of supercharge the growth? And I think, again, every year and every move that I make, the focus for me becomes less about that particular move and more about what can I do to bring others there. And I would also say sometimes part of that is setting the example. You know, I feel like even in my current role, having the honor to make history, as you guys described, as the first black woman to run a major cable news network that, I think, for me, goes so much further in helping that growth and development and just doing the job and being a presence and being that representation than me actively connecting with individuals.
2: So the reason I wanted to ask you about vet is if you met her 10 years ago, I met her 12, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was applying for a job at MSNBC. I got connected to her and I knew of her when I was an intern throughout college. And right. she had such a wonderful reputation. And I got an interview with her. She had me do a writing test, which literally meant like, here's a wire story that came in, write a script and, you know, a certain short period of time, turn it around. Right. So I was put into, you know, a little room to do it. And I fully had an anxiety attack. And I don't think I had ever really had one before. Right. But like, I was so nervous that I just, kept reading the story over and over again. And I, I think I wrote like three sentences. I just, I couldn't do it. And I remember yep. just submitting it and running out of the building and like bursting mm-hmm. into tears. And I wrote her note, just like how embarrassed I was and how I felt like I wasted her time and everyone's time. And she was so kind. And she, I remember she was just like, don't worry, it happens. And I well, I didn't get that job. I didn't deserve it. I ended up getting a different job there. But I always just remembered her kindness in that moment. And it's always stuck with me. And so I, I'm curious. And one, I was so happy to see that she's your mentor and because I just think so fondly of her from that right. very mortifying day for myself. <laughs> But two, in reading about you, it's very clear everyone compliments like your focus and your sense of calm, but we're all human. And yeah. have you ever had kind of those moments, maybe not as extreme as I did, but of anxiety that's come up as you're breaking barriers, as you're rising the ladder and with a lot of pressure of, as you said, being the first and making history?
0: Yeah, no, A, I'm not surprised to hear that about Yvette because she is beyond just being this mega executive, one of the most human people that I know. And she sees and finds the humanity in everyone she interacts with. I I would absolutely say over the years I've had those moments of anxiety. I've had those moments of pressure. I've had those moments where I've had to question for myself am i supposed to be here am i doing the right thing this is hard work and it compounds you know just this morning i was someone asked as as you do casually hey how are you doing and i said i'm tired like i'm tired it's been a long week a long month a long summer a long year a long pandemic and i think being honest about those things is helpful i have moments where i say i feel overwhelmed and i have to find a day a moment a few hours to bring it down to really focus on me and you know my own self care my life is very dynamic i've got this very important job that as i said is non stop you talked about 9 until forever like we go live every day at 5am that means you know programming is on television from 5am until midnight every day on just television alone I've got two kids who, as they get older, their lives become more individual and demanding. And so it's a lot. And I say all that to say, A, I want to normalize that. I want to humanize the fact that, especially when as I talk about representation, you know, I'm a person that not only represents the history-making aspect of my job, but also the demand of my job, the demand of the kids. Like, It is okay to say that is a lot to juggle and a lot to deal with. I've had moments where I've gone into Yvette's office, and I've either been pissed off about something and gotten emotional or excited about something and gotten emotional or stressed out about something and, and gotten emotional. And I think one of the key resources I've had is a safe space in an event. And I've you know, got a couple other people in my life who serve that function where you don't have to put up the invincible shield. You can go be human. You can admit vulnerabilities. And I think normalizing that makes it also better for the folks who come behind me. So they understand. I just said on an editorial meeting, I have to take off tomorrow. I've got a long drive to retrieve my 12-year-old from a weight camp. I haven't talked to her in two weeks. Got to take the day. Look forward to seeing you guys when I get back. That's okay. I want to make sure people think that all of the factors and dynamic and stressors of your life and balancing it is okay.
1: Do you get to turn off? I know you you talked about you're taking that day to pick up your daughter, but that's also something that you're doing for another person in your life. Yep. Yeah but do you get to turn off? Everyone knows the the right answer, right? Oh yes, I take my time. I go for a walk, blah, blah, blah. But I also, you know, know and, and worked in that building in breaking news yep. and I was chained to my phone and I was nowhere near the top. So really when people are thinking about this and looking at you as the model, I think a, a big part of this is you got to work really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of it is setting the example. I make a point to be very vocal about when I'm taking time off and when I'm down, I encourage it for my team. I think the only reason I am actually able to unplug when I need to is because I've set a really strong team. I've got people who are in the chair. They know exactly what they're doing. We restructured in a way that everyone has their lane of responsibility, but we've got enough overlap where we can back each other up. And whether it's a day like tomorrow, or I'm taking a few days later this month, I think, A, it's important to set the example for the team to understand. It is okay to step away from your devices. I've got two phones for that reason. One phone is solely work, and if I need to unplug, that phone goes away in a drawer, or I just accidentally, on purpose, accidentally let it die and the battery's dead. I don't know. I can't reach me there. (laughs) Oops. But I also have, you know, my other phone where the people who need to get to me immediately know how to get to me. I know, especially in the role that I'm in, because I've got such a strong team, the news will find me and I don't need to seek it out per se. And it's all about balance. And I think because I make that very public and vocal, it encourages my team to do it, which encourages their teams to do it. And again, this is all about normalizing. It is okay, even in the crazy dynamic world that we live in, and you guys know it better than most. The news does not care if we're taking a few days off or we're in the country, out of the country. It still happens. As a leader, you have to set processes and structure so the operation can run without you. But you also have to set the example to let people know it's okay to do.
2: What has it been like to become the boss of people who are more experienced and seasoned than you?
0: Yeah. So I, I will tell you this. I very much remember the period in my career where I was always the younger, uh, more junior person in the room. And then when people stopped talking about, oh my God, you're so young. Like I miss the fact that people don't say you're so young anymore. Yeah, we do.
2: We understand I do It's coming, ladies. People used to be like, we're sorry if that's insulting. I'm like, no, please keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's fine. Keep it
0: coming. Keep it coming. Uh, As soon as the grays start popping up, that kind of goes away. But it has been an evolution for me because I've been at this company for eight years. So there are people who either started before I did, people who trained me, people who were peers, people who I looked up to, who are now in more junior roles than I'm in. And it's always a difficult transition. Again, and I hate to sound like a broken record, I just try to humanize it. Like at the end of the day, we're all employees of the same company, we all want the same thing from the company we work for. I always tell people, I want to lead the company that I want to be a part of. And so this is a much less um, structured, I won't say structured, but but kind of regimented culture where the AP doesn't you know, talk to the EP and the EP doesn't have a direct line of communication. I think even just by having that accessibility, I do a breakfast every month. It's been virtual where we just get a gathering of employees different levels, EP, AP, segment producer, line booker. And we send them a gift card, go get your coffee and donut. And we sit on teams and we just talk. And I think even just that access where the AP raising their virtual hand gets the same voice and stage as the EP is the president of the network. I think like I'd rather work for a company that didn't feel like it was as regimented and siloed in that way. And I think some of that makes this transition from being a peer to a boss more manageable because we're at the end of the day, we're all employees of the same company.
2: You seem so even keeled, and I'm really jealous (laughs) because you seem just like very, very focused and even keeled. What are the triggers for you that you're like, oh, this is when I do need that day off?
0: Yeah, I mean, a couple things, and I'm in no way the same way all the time every day. I first, I think what you're hearing and seeing is I very genuinely, truly love what I do. I love coming in here every day. I love the work that we're doing, I love leading a team. I love the public service that we do. So like I start with the foundation of this is a great thing to do, a great place to be, right? So that helps to moderate any of that other stuff. Just as a human, and these are all small things that aren't necessarily big drivers of who I am, I love being efficient, therefore I hate things that are not efficient. I hate meandering and and slow decision-making and those kinds of things. Everyone who I work with and who works on my team will always comment, and like it, it was kind of surprising to me in the beginning, like you run such structured meetings. Like I go in with every meeting with an agenda, I go in with here's what we're gonna accomplish at the end of the meeting, and if we haven't accomplished it, I try to back us into that. So by default, I get annoyed when we have conversations and meetings that don't lead to anything. I don't necessarily like office politics. Like I think we're past that. That's not a huge part of our culture. And I want it to be even less of a part of our culture. And so again, taking down some of those walls and those barriers and kind of preconceived notions of how, you know, an organization should be run or how structure should be or people who should be given more consideration than others. I think it's limiting. I think it's bad for business. I think we miss opportunities. And that's something that I would say probably at the top of the list is something that I tolerate much less and don't believe in. Two questions. What's been the day that you
1: just threw up your hands at? And secondly, what have you been most proud of in that time?
0: I actually think those answers are somewhat synced up. The day that has had the biggest impact on me as a journalist in the last 18 months was January 6th. And it was because it devolved so quickly in front of our eyes. You were watching this real life tragedy happening at the Capitol. And it felt like for a beat, the country was out of control. That was tough because this is a country that no matter what your, your politics are, And how you feel about just your own identity as an American that I think, especially in the moment, we all agree that that was not okay, And it was tough. I remember getting the call from my 15 year old saying, Mom, why is this happening? And it's like, I can't answer that. You know, he's lived through all of the different twists and turns of politics and all sides and Republicans and Democrats and the people in the middle and the people on the outsides. Like he's seen all of that as a teenager in the last several years. I could not answer for him why he was seeing what he was seeing. I want to say on television, it was probably started on TikTok and then he turned on MSNBC because that's how 15-year-olds consume news. But I didn't have an answer for that. And I think what I would say is in that core moment where it got to such a fever pitch, we all felt helpless on some level. But to answer your second question, as far as like one of the proudest moments was from my perspective, it was how, you know, we as a news organization and I don't use this phrase lightly, became a public service of information during that period. How we as a news organization had to put into context outside of the politics what was happening and why it was happening. And I would even say to this day how we continue to cover the fallout of that and what it means for the country. I'm really proud of that.
2: Before we wrap, I want to go to a listener question that was submitted. Great. This is a question from Lauren. So Lauren, thank you for listening. Hi, Rashida. Hi, Rashida. How do you navigate mentors who just want to make you into little versions of themselves? It's a great
0: question, Lauren. It is a really good question. It's a tough one. Here's the thing I would say. You get to choose who mentors you. And if someone's not a good fit, there are a lot of people out there who are eager um, and excited to help coach and grow and develop talent. And so sometimes, you know, I kind of start with the most extreme which is if it feels like that person's not helpful or a good fit, you can always go in a different direction. I think feedback is helpful. I think the more information you can give that person about what you want to achieve, what you don't want to achieve, what your interests are, what you're not interested in, it helps that person craft how they, they guide and mold you. And I also think it's important that you have mentors that don't necessarily work just in your field. You know, I've got a variety of mentors who work in my field, Who don't work in my field, who have jobs in areas that I have no experience in, areas where I'm I'm interested in learning more about. And I think if you just basically pick the person who's on the path that you want to go on, I think sometimes naturally they're going to steer you in a certain direction. And I think that's why you can't necessarily have one mentor with one direction and one focus, you need to have almost a portfolio of people where you can pull different things out of each person. I think one of you guys said, you get different things out of different relationships. And I think that's the case with your mentor portfolio. There are certain people I go to for certain things and I'll go to this person for something else. And maybe I'll go to two people and compare notes. You have to be that kind of thoughtful, methodical about it and not put all of your eggs in one basket because you could get not always the best advice if you're only relying on one person's perspective.
1: Rashida, final, final question. Who is someone else we should have on this show?
0: Ooh, um, Well, I would suggest Yvette Miley because we've talked about her so much. So, so that's a given. I just start there. Like she wrote the book on this concept and she's been such a role model for so many of us. So Yvette Miley.
1: That's a great one. Rashida, thank you so much. You. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again
2: next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less.